shit that scares us. A podcast about scary stuff.、Ah. Merry Christmas, everyone! <laughs> But this isn't、It's, the Christmas episode, though. Like we're in November. No wait, it, Christmas begins like we said the day after Halloween,、um, uh. and it's been multiple days after Halloween. So I hope you have your Christmas trees up. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking Christmas decorations will probably already be up at the mall. I expect to hear Mariah Carey when we go there on Thursday. If I don't,、oh, I'll be sorely、yeah. disappointed. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to be going out of the house with masks and stuff. Like we will be. Going to we. This is the first time that we will be released onto the public apart from grocery <laughs> shopping. It's fucking watch out. <laughs> I feel、I'm、like I should super... document it for like the Instagram story. Just be like, "And we've made it to Albany." <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's going to be crazy. Like it's, I'm, I'm predicting right now that it's going to be very busy and there's going to be like lots of people, which is kind of scary.、Um, for reference, for anybody who's tuning in from the states, we are sort of opening our stores back up here in New Zealand on like midnight Tuesday. We're recording this on. Tuesday、Basically, day, like some Shaun of the Dead type of shit. Yeah, it's gonna be fucking <laughs>、like, crazy. Ready to go. <laughs> Um, speaking of people everywhere, today's episode sort of has the opposite effect. We're sort of going into the wilderness today, which I think was a great choice on your behalf because you picked the theme of this week's episode, Vic.、Um, and good on you! I'm loving today, it. Sorry,、yeah. I was trying to like do this creepy teddy bear thing, but I forgot the, the words. <laughs> <laughs> it's something about a teddy bear and a picnic. I think that's as far as you can't really get that much of track. Basically, once、um, you go bush, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, you're you're just stay away from forests. Is the lesson I've learned from this week's picks. Yes. Um. Let's get into it. I'm going to start us off today, and this tale is titled "The Forest Behind Our House." Let's begin. <laughs> I always find it so like hard to start these. Okay, just the the the, the suspense effect. Yeah. Let's let's drop on in, folks. Dropping in, dropping in, dropping in. <laughs> I was eight years old when we first moved into the house on the edge of the forest. My parents had their doubts about buying a house with a backyard bordered by a forest. They had concerns about wild animals getting into our bins or hurting our dogs. And were worried that one of us might go f- too far into the trees and get lost. But it was cheap. My dad liked the seclusion. My mum loved the house itself, and my siblings and I were excited about playing in the backyard and exploring the forest. Our first sign that something wasn't right was that our dogs were absolutely terrified of the forest. They never went into it for any reason. If a toy they'd been playing with found its way past the tree line. They would fu- refuse to retrieve it, and when one of us went in, they would pace anxiously until we returned. On occasion, we'd notice the dogs staring at a spot in the forest in obvious distress, sometimes growling or barking, but we could never see anything there. My brother once carried one of the dogs into the trees to show her there was nothing scary about it. But she wriggled out of his grip and sprinted into the house in a panic. If we were in the backyard when it was getting dark, we sometimes heard noises, like someone was walking through the forest, sticks crunching underfoot, branches being pushed aside. If we called out, there was no response. 
But if we shined a flashlight around, we would occasionally catch a glimpse for just a split second of something that we could swear looked like a person walking around in the dark. My parents quickly banned us from entering the forest at all after dark, and even during the day we weren't allowed to go out of sight of the house. My sister's bedroom window looked out at the backyard and the forest beyond it, and she remembers looking out of her window one night and seeing a shadowy figure standing right at the edge of the backyard. She says there was something wrong with it, like it wasn't quite standing on the ground, and it was a little too tall to be a person, and it was sort of distorted, and she was convinced it was staring at her. She called for our dad, saying that there was a man in the yard staring through her window, and when he ran outside to chase off whoever it was, she continued to watch the figure. It didn't move away, but when the light from our dad's flashlight passed over it, it suddenly just wasn't there anymore. We regularly heard knocking at the back door at night, with no one there. Our parents thought it was teenagers playing pranks and stopped bothering even opening the door, until one rainy night when the knocking was persistent and agitated. My mom pointed out there might be someone needing shelter from the heavy rain outside, but when she went to open the door, not only was there no one there, but there were no wet footprints on the porch. The knocking continued the whole time we lived there. It would happen several times in the span of a few weeks, then stop for months, then start up again. My parents eventually installed a security camera, and there was never anyone at the door. The camera wasn't all useless, though. About three years into living there, my brother started having night terrors and sleepwalking. When he went sleepwalking, he would always go out the back door and start walking toward the forest. My mom, being a light sleeper, would hear the door open and would run out to get him before he made it into the trees. After the third or fourth time it happened, my brother asked to see the camera footage because he wanted to see how he looked when he was sleepwalking, I guess thinking it'd look funny. The footage showed him walking out onto the porch, then pausing, as if listening to something, and shaking his head, then reluctantly walking forward as if being pulled or forcibly guided by something. One evening, my dad was in the backyard, and he heard my sister calling him from the forest, seemingly in distress. Thinking she'd gone exploring in the forest and falling over and hurt herself, he ran in and started calling to her, but quickly realized it was too dark to see her, and that he couldn't pinpoint where her voice was coming from. So he told her to wait where she was while he grabbed a flashlight, and when he ran back into the house for the flashlight, he saw my sister inside, safe and completely unconcerned. At the time, my dad hadn't told us about hearing my sister's voice in the forest, so when I heard my mum's voice coming from the forest months later, while I was outside with the dogs one evening, I didn't question it, despite the fact that I'd seen my mum inside recently and hadn't noticed her walk past me. My mum was calling to me, saying she'd gotten her sweater caught in some branches and needed me to come in and help her. 
As I walked in, the dogs started barking, alerting my dad, who saw me through the window wandering into the forest. He came outside and called to me, and I said, I was just helping mom. He yelled back that mom was inside, and I needed to run back to the house as fast as I could, which I did. After this, my parents had a fence built around the backyard and started looking for a new place. In the time between the fence being built and us moving out, it got way worse. We'd hear knocking at the door more regularly, as well as tapping on the windows, as if someone was walking the perimeter of the house and trying every one. We would often hear scratching and scraping sounds on the fence, and voices beyond it. My brother's night terrors got more frequent, and one night my mum didn't hear the door open when he went outside sleepwalking. He woke up, standing at the fence, staring into the forest with the dogs barking at him. The last morning we spent there, less than four years after we moved in, we woke up to find the back door fully open, and the security camera footage showed it's slowly swinging open on its own. Since moving out, my brother's sleepwalking has stopped, though he still gets night terrors and he suffers from pretty severe anxiety. A few nights ago, he called me out of the blue, and after a bit of small talk, he asked me if I think that the door being open that final night means whatever was out there finally got in. He was trying to make light of it, saying he was getting into the spirit of Halloween joking about how maybe we should all get exercise just in case something latched onto us all those years ago. But I think he's deeply bothered by everything that happened. I know I still am a little. I still get nervous around dark wooded areas. I don't know what I think was out there in the forest behind our house at night. But I get the feeling that, given the chance, it would have swallowed us whole. And that's that story. <sighs> I love it so much. I just think that, I think the, um, I love how well written that was. I love how it was told over a period of time. You know, like all the sort of different, I could almost see that being a bloody short film, you know, like all of the different mm. um, scenes that the person explained i think that they like sorry i've just got some slime that i decided to play with and i should probably put that down that's adhd um <laughs> and i just love how like vivid the descriptions were and having lived on the edge of a forest before uh can relate to that although my dog always ran straight in so i feel like maybe the dogs generally are a sense of what's bad and what's out there I mean, I just rewatched um, the Conjuring movies, so like for me, the whole dog not wanting to go in just kind of screams like Sadie the dog not wanting to go into the house. Yeah, your animals are sensitive. They've got that extra keen hearing, that extra keen smelling, that extra keen. It's like trust like, the dog. She she don't want it. <laughs> yeah, like cats, earthquakes. It's a whole thing. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I really loved it. I think it was beautiful, um, super spooky, and I enjoyed it. Tor, I'm ready for yours. Okie dokie. <laughs> this is a very true story. I don't know if it's a story that now has an ending or not, but this house is one I will never forget. Right beside the road sat a house, dilapidated from time and Mother Nature had long begun her work to erase what man built on her land. 
Today it's gone, burned down by some teenagers doing things they shouldn't have. But in the late 30s, the little house was the scene of a horrible crime. Two elderly sisters called it home then. One day in the summer, a convict had escaped from the chain gang um, and was hiding out in this house. He thought he was alone in the house until he found the sisters hiding in the closet. Nobody knows why he did it, but the police describe it as one of the most horrifying, terrifying scenes they've ever investigated. We used to call it the witch's house because you could hear the screams of the two sisters when you walked by it. The newspaper described in detail the crime scene. My grandfather kept a copy of it and I remember reading it like a Stephen King novel. The two women were found on the living room floor. One body was cut into pieces with the head, arms and legs removed. The other body had been stabbed multiple times and then cut open with the innards removed and placed beside the body. The limbs of the other body were found in the kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, and the head was found in a trash can. Blood covered everything in the house. The convict was named, and so were the two women, but I will not use their names. The convict was found in the attic in a panic-like state, covered in blood, and was crying how the two women attacked him. His statement read, They came at me like they were possessed and moved faster than any human could. They were chanting in a tongue that he couldn't understand and told him he was to be sacrificed. The convict had several stab wounds, bite marks and claw marks over his body and died later at the hospital of an apparent heart attack. The article went on to say that before his death, he told police that he'd gotten away from the woman and they turned on each other and that one had gutted the other before she was dead from her wounds. He said that after that it was quiet for a moment and so he thought it was safe to come out only to find the body of one still trying to move after death and was still chanting. So he got an axe and cut her to pieces and then he removed the head and she was still chanting. To this day there is one part of the crime that is yet to be answered. There were markings on the walls in the old lady's blood that were described as rune-like symbols. They were written with two fingers, and blood was found on two fingers of a severed arm that seemed to be the fingers used to draw them, meaning the old lady had written them in her and her sister's own blood. The other strange thing is that there was five reports the same day of convicts escaping the chain gangs, finding a house with two elderly women, staying in them, and out of all of them, this is the only convict that seemed to survive. The others were killed by the elderly woman. The summer of 1992 was the best summer ever for me. Just graduated from high school, and come the fall, I was going to start work with a construction company making very good money. A lot of celebration went on that summer, and one particular night after celebrating through a fifth of Jack Daniels, we decided to go spook hunting, as we called it. So, with a Ouija board... Y'all know what I think about Ouija boards. <laughs> so, with Ouija board in hand, we set off for the witch's house. It seemed that, at the time, it was the perfect place and one that we never ventured to before. 
There was three of us, and soon we found ourselves standing at the back door of the shack of the house. On this night, it was quiet all around. No crickets calling, no frogs talking, no dogs barking, no traffic on the road, which I remember was odd because it was a major state road. It was way too quiet, to say the least. With a knife and a crowbar, we managed to break in the house. It had been boarded up for several years since I could remember. Inside, we used flashlights to look around. You had to watch where you stepped because I found out the floor had rotted in places. In the living room sat an old coffee table among trash boxes and things scattered about. We decided to use it to play with the Ouija board. Coincidentally, I never owned another Ouija board, nor will I ever allow another one in my house because of the story. Yes, we like that thinking. Don't touch them. <laughs> we started off with yes and no questions. Is there anyone in the house with us? The board said yes. Would you like to talk to us? Again, it said yes. Are you okay? The board said no. What happened? It spelled out killed. Is there anything we can do to help you find peace? The board said yes. What can we do? The board spelled out die. The silence of that night was broken with the sound of laughter that seemed to be coming from everywhere. A whisper at first and it grew louder and louder. Our flashlights were going all around while we were trying to figure out where the laughter was coming from. That's when we started seeing the dried blood on the walls. We rushed to the back door trying to jump over the rotted places and moving as fast as we could. When we got outside we were faced with an orb floating just in front of us and moving as if to force us back inside. We scrambled and fell over each other trying to get away. We left so fast that we forgot the Ouija board, which was fine by me at this point. The orb chased us to the edge of the road and then vanished. We stood there on the side of the road as if we were playing hide and seek and we made it to base and nothing could get us looking back at the old shack. The laughter turned to screams so loud it must have woken someone up and they called the cops. The walls of the shack were shaking and we could hear things breaking inside. I could swear I saw someone moving around inside as well. When the police came, you could still hear the screaming. They asked us what was going on, and naturally, we lied. We were walking by and could hear it, we said to the cop. We were scared to go up there to see what was happening. That's what our story was for that night. The policeman walked up to the house and knocked on the door. The scream stopped suddenly, and the silence fell over everything again. Nobody answered the policeman, and so they kicked the door in. We watched as the cop walked in, and we could see his flashlight shine inside, the dried blood on the walls gone. He came back out and walked up to us, standing on the side of the road. I find out this is some kind of prank. All of you are going to be in a lot of trouble, said the officer. We all just looked at each other in shock, not knowing what to say. I know you've all been drinking, he said, and I can take you in right now for being underage, but I suggest you go home and don't let me catch you out here again. The policeman left and so did we. In shock after what had just happened, we all felt the night was done for us and it was time to call it quits. My house was just a couple blocks down the street and so it wasn't very long before I was home. I think all of us sobered up real quick when things started happening. 
Nonetheless, when I got home, I fell asleep pretty quick. The next morning started off normal, other than the headache from Uncle Jack. It was starting off like nothing had happened. Until one of the guys called me. Hey, did you get the Ouija board? No, I replied. I think we left it. Man, don't be funny, he said back to me. He was getting mad. What the hell? Nobody had the Ouija board when the cop came last night, so I know we left it at the house. By now, I was wondering what was going on. Then how the hell did it find its way back to my house? It was sitting on the back porch in the swing. Those woods hide many dark secrets. Some you don't want to know, and to the teenagers that burnt that house down a couple of years ago, I don't know what happened when you went in there, but I hope reading this, you know that you aren't the only one that something had happened to. I hope what you did ended whatever supernatural thing was there, but that house may have been a container holding it in, and what you did may have freed it instead. I hope not, but time will tell. Nah. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Fuck, that's a good one. Oh. Okay, so I went through so many different emotions listening to that. At first, the when you were talking. my arms are fucking raised. Oh, right? <laughs> that <gasps> ending. Okay, the emotions that I went through with that were like, initially I was like, eh, it just sounds like to me uh, that someone with some challenges in terms of uh, mental health um, has has an idea of like what happened with the elderly people. Um, and then I was like, I think that you can explain the blood by like them doing it, maybe in a state of like psychosis or something or not understanding um, that they actually did it. But then when you started to talk about like it happening again, I was like, that's just, and the ghost after the, um, I just can't. I'm pretty sure like just shit got real crazy and those ladies were witches somehow. And, Something fucking just... (laughs) See, my initial opinion is to be like, I feel like that person was, like, ill and they did something that was terrible and then that's how they rationalize it to themselves. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the negative energy doesn't stick around, right? Oh, needless to say, I... I'm glad the house burnt down. God knows if it if it released something, but fucking <laughs> hell! I do not claim. Oh. No, I do not claim yeah, any of that. No. Top, top, top. I, I, I love though how like only a few sentences away. He's like, "Yeah, I ain't touching no Ouija board ever again." I'm like, "Yes, yes, yeah. we do not touch those. They do bad things." Have we things. learned? <laughs> what have we learned from listening to Vic? Do not touch a Ouija board. <laughs> Um, that was fucking good, man. Props oh to whoever wrote that. Well done. Amazing. It was story. it was serving like nineties nostalgia, like being on a you know like riding your bike around a neighborhood. Like I feel like this kind of really fits Stranger Things. I know I know yeah. the new season's coming back. We're all excited, but yeah, yeah, it just like just kids out and about being cheeky buggers. And it was also very Stephen King, which yes. Stephen King has some oh problematic God. shit in his writing, the way that he <laughs> writes about young women specifically. Um, but yeah, it was serving. It was definitely serving. But that might just be because the Stranger Things cast, a couple of the cast are in it, the film. Or is it just one? Is it just Finn? I don't remember. I um, remember fucking great. Amazing story. So we have... 
I have another one for you that is also about a forest. I love it. Um, this one is titled, There's Something in the Woods. Here we go. In my younger days, just after high school, I was what most would consider a vagrant. No home to speak of, but not quite homeless either. Growing up poor in a poor, dying factory town assures a few things, but most of the kids in my town knew and understood clearly that the only way to escape such a bleak place was to leave. It was the result of this desperate retreat from certain poverty that led me to work as a labourer in the pipeline industry. Grueling work, but decent pay. A fair start for one such as myself. After about three months of working, my foreman, who we will call Jay, discovered I was staying at a motel and wouldn't have it. He was kind enough to invite me to stay with his family until I found an apartment, and I was grateful for his offer. Jay and his family were honest rural people who lived in an honest rural area, a house with a barn and a field surrounded by the wooded hills of Chillicothe which is in Ohio, we have discovered. No neighbours and one road in and out. Very similar to houses I had seen and been around growing up. It was a great area and great company, and I was thankful for such a turn in my luck. The first evening I stayed there, Jay's wife got me situated in my room, and I became acquainted with everyone in the house over dinner. After our meal, I stepped out for a cigarette and decided the tree line behind their barn would be the best area to smoke privately and inoffensively. The sun had set and then some by the time I stepped out of the house. The moon was high and full, keeping the valley I was in dully illuminated and casting the surrounding hills as dark shadows against the star-filled sky. A night that I think most would find peaceful but as soon as my boots met the grass, that primal, instinctive warning that a man gets sometimes began to slowly creep into my core. That alarm that tells you, something ain't right here. Being young and dumb and brave, of course, I shrugged it off and continued to the tree line, attempting to keep the growing feeling at bay. When I at last approached the shadowed tangle of trees and underbrush on the outskirts of their yard, I reached into my pocket, pulled out my pack of Marlboros and my matches, and struck it alight. As I brought the match to my cigarette, I saw it. Mere feet away from where I was standing, just barely within the trees, was the stark and outstanding silhouette of something huge. It stood crouched and still had to be at least seven feet tall. Large, pointed ears and a narrowly elongated snout. Its eyes glimmered that weird, infrared colour you see when animals reflect light in their eyes at night. Oh my god, oh my god, there's a wolf, that's a wolf, were my initial panic-stricken thoughts. It was in the midst of this processing that I realised there was no way this was a wolf. Because wolves don't stand upright, and this creature was unmistakably on two legs. It was slouched low, one arm hung down past its haunches, and the other was pressed firmly against a tree to the right of it. It didn't move. It didn't seem startled or threatened or afraid, but simply aware. I knew I saw it, and it knew that I knew. I wish I could say I did something, 
anything. I wish that I could say that I ran or that I screamed or even moved, but I was frozen in fear. Standing rigid as a statue with nothing but a quickly dying matchlight between me and whatever monstrous thing was in front of me. We locked gazes for what felt like hours, but what was probably only moments, and as though the creature had decided it was done terrifying me, it straightened up and backed away slowly into the darkness of the trees. No sound, not a broken twig or rustled leaf to be heard. As soon as my legs allowed me, I ran like hell back to the safety of Jay's house. I slammed the door behind me and was met with a look of concern from my foreman and his wife who were watching the TV in the living room. There's something out there. It was the only thing I could gasp. Jay exchanged a look with his wife and looked back towards me. Boy, if you're going to stay here, you need to understand that there's things out in them woods that you best not pay attention to, he said. He said it so nonchalantly, like he was talking about last night's football game. You hear a strange noise, you ignore it. You see a strange shadow, you ignore it. And if you get a strange feeling, you come inside and forget you felt it. There are things out there we just don't understand, but we respect it because it's their land. We just live here. It's been 15 years since my encounter with that creature in the woods, and I still think about it often. And though I stayed with Jay and his family for another three weeks after that night, I never felt easy on his property. That feeling never left. That warning stayed alert. And I will never go out to the woods at night unless I have absolutely no other choice. Once you know what's out there, you never see things the same again. I know this might seem far-fetched, and I know that many won't believe what I'm saying, but this story I had to share. And that's the story of what sounds like a werewolf. I'm like thinking Wendigo. Um, yeah, crazy. Eh? When I read that, because I, I, when he said snout, I was immediately like, oh, this is giving um, Remus Lupin from the third Harry Potter movie. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my like, God. That's exactly <gasps> how I would describe Lupin in the third Harry Potter movie. So, Okay, okay. So this one is called Inside a Haunted Mine. Um, so I've been holding on to this experience for about a year now. And I've decided to share it with you guys, mostly to get it off my chest. I work in a deep underground potash mine. For anyone who has never experienced what it's like to be several thousand feet underground, it is a very uncanny experience. There is no natural light, and usually the only artificial light comes from your cap lamp or vehicles you're operating. You can hear the earth shift in the vast weight above you slowly bearing down on the tunnel you're working in. I had been working underground for about six months and was being sent to an abandoned part of the mine to make it safe enough for other crews to be sent in to recover equipment and other machinery that had been left behind. The area I was being sent to was infamous for being the location where a mine operator that I will refer to as Chris had been killed by being pinched in between two pieces of equipment. Unfortunately, his torso was split in half. This accident had shaken a lot of the guys underground and many refused to work in the area again. So as the junior operator, I was unlucky and had to get the shit job. I was sent in by myself to get the job started and was supposed to get another operator to come help me once I was ready. 
The beginning tunnel had so much um, potash dust piled up over the years that it reached my knees and made it almost impossible to see while driving in my bolter, a vehicle that drives eight-foot metal bolts into the ceiling to prevent the ceiling from crashing. That's the description that this um, person has given us. I remember feeling so uneasy while I was in there, like I wasn't supposed to be there. Once I got to my first location to start bolting, I began setting everything up. I was setting up bolts when I noticed a moving light uh, coming from the opposite end of the tunnel where I had entered. Initially, thought it could be another worker that was also doing work in that tunnel, so I started doing camp light signals, um, our form of sign language, so to speak, so we could communicate with one another. I signaled for whoever was making the light to come towards me. Once I made that signal, the light stopped moving, and after a few seconds, it disappeared entirely. I was becoming worried and tried to reason to myself what the light could have been. It really couldn't have been another worker because it wasn't safe to go any farther until my work was complete. It couldn't have been a piece of equipment because it responded to my light. I was terrified and honestly didn't know what to do. I was scared to attempt to leave because my bolter kicked up so much dust. But also I didn't want to go by foot because I only had my cap light for lighting. I decided to stay camped inside the bolter until my backup arrived. The light never returned, and when my co-worker arrived, I gained enough confidence to finish the job and leave. I don't know what I saw, but I can't help thinking that it's the soul of Chris. The idea of his soul being trapped in the tunnel really bothers me, and I actually left the underground for the surface for another position, partly because of this encounter. Oh, that's so tragic. Oh. Just mining like disasters. Oh. Honestly, like when I when I first saw this, like the first thing that came to mind was the Pike River mine disaster. I, I also don't like being underground. Like I don't know if you remember um, Year Seven camp, but we had to like go caving, and I outright oh, no refused. I was like, get fucked. Like here's me. That's sensible. That <laughs> 11, is like, sensible behavior. Like saying, fuck off, I am not going underground with wetters and God knows what else and being stuck in these tiny little crevices that, Mm -hmm. oh, no. That's sensible behavior. That's because, you know, like those things like, I mean, I don't know about New Zealand and I don't know specifically where you were or the waterways or whatever, but when things like that flood... You drown. I mean, those kids that that got trapped in the cave in Thailand, like... Yeah. Shit floods pretty quick. (sighs) I mean, obviously this wasn't the case, but still, like, you were underground. It is an entirely different terrain, and it's dangerous. Like, yeah. shit can go seriously wrong, and unfortunately it did for that one particular worker. Couldn't oh, pay me gosh. to go underground, eh? No way. Yeah, honestly, you, my friend, the story owner, are a brave individual. I could not do that job, um, and I completely understand you wanting to <laughs> go back to the surface because... That is some heavy stuff to experience. Oh, my gosh. Well, there we go. Those are four really fucking scary stories. (laughs) (laughs) Also, um, if any of you guys actually tuned in to watch our awards, uh, we won an award 
Yas. Uh, oh my god, won... yeah. <laughs> I forgot to say that. No, we won um, Best New Paranormal Podcast of the Year Award, which is awesome. Um, I just heard from the guys that they've sent it out. So we will have our award shortly that I can post pictures on Instagram and we could do a whole bunch of fun shit with that. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for voting for us if you did. We really appreciate it. It was beautiful, surreal. I was like sitting there. Unfortunately, like, there was some technical difficulties, but who cares? But yeah, I was sitting there and I was like so eager to like see it and everyone else who got their awards. It was amazing. So yes, very, very exciting. Thank Let's you. Bless you all. what happens next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's the end of today's episode. We hope you liked it. Check us out on Instagram, Matt, shit that scares us. Uh, and, um, or email us. Yeah, email at, us uh, at uh, shit that scares us pod uh, at gmail.com. Do it. And we'll see well, you guys in a couple weeks. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.